I was recently reminded by a friend that it's simply impossible to say everything there is to say about a text in a sermon. In fact, one of the hardest decisions in sermon preparation is knowing what to cut from the sermon, both to keep the sermon at a manageable length and also to keep focused on the driving points of the text instead of chasing after interesting and important, but perhaps secondary issues along the way. Well, as I continue to try to keep sermons focused and under an hour, I felt that it would be helpful to uh, keep removing sections from sermons, but I really wanted to follow up with them somewhere. So I thought that on our church podcast, if there were sections that I thought were especially interesting or helpful or important, then later in the week, I would go back and make a few comments on issues that I couldn't talk about in the sermon. In this episode, we'll go a little bit deeper into Ephesians 1.17 and consider whether the Holy Spirit or a human spirit is in view. When the word spirit appears in the English Bible, translators use an uppercase S to indicate if the Holy Spirit is the referent. Making this decision can be challenging because there was really no mechanism like that in the Greek language. The reality that translation includes interpretation is pronounced in these situations where a decision has to be made. While in the Christian Standard Bible, the word spirit is spelled with an uppercase S in Ephesians 1.17, indicating that the Holy Spirit is in view. The verse is translated in this way. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The text includes a footnote indicating that it could also be translated with the lowercase s, indicating a human spirit. And that helps readers know that there's a translation issue here. Other translations, like the English Standard Version and the New International Version, read the same way as the Christian Standard Bible. However, some Popular translations, like the King James Version or the New American Standard Bible in the New Living Translation, understand the referent to be the spirit with a lowercase s, referencing a human spirit. So, whether we are trying to make sense of the footnote in the Christian Standard Bible or comparing our reading with other translations that render the verse in a different way, the question of whether the Holy Spirit or a human spirit is in view is somewhat important. So which is it? Well, as one commentator notes, able students of the scriptures have been on both sides of the issue. So regardless of the option that we choose, we should remember that the differences in Bible translations don't reflect a lesser or greater degree of faithfulness. Instead, the differences represent careful investigation of two valid options and the inescapable reality that translation includes interpretation. Although I didn't provide an explanation for the way that I understood the phrase in the sermon on this text this past Sunday, I followed the CSB's rendering of the word as a reference to the Holy Spirit. But I wasn't convinced that the CSB was correct during my initial study of the text. In fact, in my own translation of the text, I used the lowercase option, understanding the word to refer to a human spirit or a disposition. That's because the sentence structure is very similar to other texts where a human spirit or disposition is clearly in view, such as in Romans 8.15, where Paul uses the phrase, a spirit of slavery, or in 2 Timothy 1.7, where Paul uses the phrase, a spirit of fear. 
Both of these phrases are similar to the phrase spirit of wisdom in Revelation found in Ephesians 1.17. Understood this way, the phrase simply refers to the attitude or spiritual disposition towards insight and openness to revelation. However, as I investigated the text more and read arguments of commentators who believe the Holy Spirit is a referent, I eventually changed my mind. One commentator in particular, Harold Honer, lists seven reasons to render the phrase as a reference to the Holy Spirit. After reading this commentary and several others, I was eventually convinced that the Holy Spirit, rather than a human spirit, is in view. Like I said, Honer provides seven reasons. His first reason is that understanding the Spirit is the Holy Spirit makes the best sense of the phrase Spirit of Revelation. The word for revelation references a disclosure of something that is hidden rather than an understanding of something that has already been revealed. The Holy Spirit, not the human spirit, works to disclose information. Therefore, the Holy Spirit is likely in view. Second, Paul points out that the revelation of the mystery of the gospel was made known to him and to the other apostles by the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 3.3 and 3.5. In this case, the referent is clearly to the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we should understand revealing as one of the operations of the Holy Spirit. This recognition strengthens Honer's first point. Revelation is a work of the Holy Spirit, not of the human spirit. Third, Honer points to the work of one scholar, a guy named Heinrich August Wilhelm Meyer, who demonstrates that whenever the Greek word for spirit, pneuma, is in view, it refers either to a demonic or divine spirit when, when it's the predicate of the verb to give. I personally was not convinced on this point because there are other texts where the language of giving is connected to spirit, where it's almost universally understood as a human spirit or disposition. For example, in 2 Timothy 1.7, nearly every translation renders the phrase, God has not given us a spirit of fear to refer to human disposition rather than a demonic or divine spirit. So this reason that he gives in, in the study he references is interesting, but it wasn't really convincing for me. Fourth, even though those who understand the spirit in Ephesians 1.17 as a reference to a human spirit or disposition, uh, they, they understand this disposition as one that's generated by the Holy Spirit. So in other words, even though a human disposition might be in view, that disposition is present by the work of the Holy Spirit, making a rendering of the Holy Spirit a more accurate reflection of what's going on there. Fifth, other expressions in the New Testament where the word spirit is followed by of something, the Holy Spirit is often in view. So for example, the spirit of truth in John 15, 26, the spirit of his son in Galatians 4, 6, and the spirit of God in Matthew 12, 28 all refer to the Holy Spirit. By itself, this reason does not provide an airtight argument because there are other instances where spirit is followed by of something where it doesn't refer to the Holy Spirit, but it does show the frequent usage of this grammatical construction where the Holy Spirit is unambiguously in view. Sixth, Ephesians 1.17 corresponds to Ephesians 1.8, where God is the one who gives insight and understanding. In 1.17, Paul builds on this idea to show that God gives this insight and understanding through the Holy Spirit. 
in addition to Honer's connection of Ephesians 1.17 to 1.8, is the connection to 1.13, where Paul talks about the Holy Spirit is being connected to the reception of the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. Seventh, Honer points out that Ephesians 1.17 is very similar to 1 Corinthians 2.6-16, through 16, where Paul teaches that the Holy Spirit reveals the mysteries of God. In 1 Corinthians 2.10, Paul states clearly, Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The clarity of 1 Corinthians 2 in the thematic connections with Ephesians 1 was one of the most convincing arguments that Spirit in Ephesians 1.17 refers to the Holy Spirit. Honer concludes with this lengthy quote, In the present context, the believer is to come to know him intimately, and as a result, the believer will become acquainted with God's actions described in the following verses. Hence, it is not facts about God that are most important, but knowing him personally and intimately. Thus, one acquires this knowledge of God not only by facts from the Bible, but by the Holy Spirit's giving insight and disclosure in the knowledge of God himself. In the end, philosophy says, know yourself, whereas Christianity says, know your God through the Holy Spirit. One final thing that needs to be said is that this knowledge of God is available to all Christians and not just to the apostles, prophets, or select group within the community. Honer's point here is that the Holy Spirit gives a knowledge of God that can only come through the work of the Holy Spirit that extends beyond simply ascertaining facts from the Bible. Paul's prayer here is that the Holy Spirit would impart knowledge of God to every believer in a way that would make clear the hope of God's calling, the wealth of God's inheritance, and the greatness of God's power. And this knowledge is not reserved for a special class of Christians because it's available through the revealing work of the Holy Spirit. One other interesting note is that Ephesians 1.17 may have a connection to the Messianic prophecy in Isaiah 11, as noted by several other commentators. Isaiah writes in chapter 11, A shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. In Isaiah, the Spirit is a fairly clear reference to the Holy Spirit resting on the Messiah, who we now know to be Jesus Christ. This close connection between the Spirit and the Messiah is continued in Paul's letters to the Ephesians, where Paul connects the greatness of God's power to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who is the head of the church. Christians come to know God truly through the revealing of the Holy Spirit, but the revealing work of the Holy Spirit happens in connection with the revealing work of Jesus Christ, the Messiah who makes the invisible God visible, and who draws the church into organic connection to himself as his body. Rendered this way, Ephesians 1.17 should be read as a Trinitarian text, bringing together the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to make a people for God's own possession. So we can conclude with Paul's words in Ephesians 1.15-19. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, 
would give you the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what is the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of His strength.